You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. Well, if you've been here over the past couple of weeks, what Rodney has been discussing and preaching about is the church. How the church is to be the bride, Christ, the body of Christ, and a community that represents Christ. I sat there two weeks ago very encouraged by that message. It was here on last Sunday. Once again, I was encouraged by the gospel of Christ going forward. I sat over there in, in my corner and, 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 and I listened to God use Rodney. And, it, and, it, and it's just not that Sunday, but man, I mean, for the past two and a half years that I've been here, man, I've, I've seen God faithfully proclaim the gospel through Rodney, through Dan, through Travis, Kevin, Brad, and prayerfully myself. And it is a joy to be reminded each Sunday of what Christ has done for us and how we should live for him based off of what he's done. And I said the last Sunday overwhelmed on how, you know, the gospel influences every area uh, of our life. But as I, but as I sat there, I was, I, was wondering, I was wondering some things. As much as I am enjoying this, I know there is a person who is so against what God is designed to do through his body. If you look at the book of Ephesus, which is authored by Paul, Paul in chapter one, he reminds the church that, hey man, you have every spiritual blessing you need in Christ. And then at the end, he praises God for them, and then he prays for them. In Ephesians chapter 2, the first half, Paul, he informs them of how they've been saved by grace through faith, not a work of themselves. You drop down to Ephesians chapter 2, later on in the chapter, Paul, he talks about how there should be oneness in diversity. Oxymoron, but what the God, but what the gospel calls for. In Ephesians chapter 3, we see how Paul is trying to reveal to them the mystery of the gospel. Then later on in that chapter, he prays for them to have spiritual strength. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul he encouraged them to, to preserve the unity of 
uh, to preserve the spirit of unity which Christ himself has provided. Then he asked, then he informs them later on that God, through Christ, has gifted his church leaders to equip the saints for ministry. In Ephesians chapter 5, we see Paul, he, he, says, he says these first three words, these first four words that are powerful, that we are to imitate God. And how that is to be done, Paul says, is by us walking in love. Later on in that chapter, Paul, he, he begins to, he reveals to us the mystery of an earthly doing, but a spiritual reality that, that, that the marriages today on earth, through saints, that they really, they really emphasize the marriage of Christ in his church. That's, they really display the marriage and the beauty of salvation with Christ in his church. In Ephesians chapter 6. Paul, he encourages them that, that even the gospel affects how we parent and how the children obey the parents. Later on in that same chapter, Paul, he said he informs on how even the gospel is to inform how we work and who we work for. That if you are a bond servant or an employee, that you need to work as unto the Lord. And if you are a master over bond servants or employees, that you need to remember you have a master that one day you will give an account to. He's informing how the gospel affects everything in their life. And then Paul, he, he, he drops this, this bombshell on him in, in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, with all the good news that I've heard from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 9. I have something to tell you. There's somebody against all of that. Uh, there's someone who is, who is an antagonist against the gospel and how it is to change the church in itself. Paul says this in Ephesians 6.10. Finally, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, over spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand and having done all to stand firm. Paul says, don't you realize you're in a war? That Satan is against the purposes and plans and promises of God. He does not want us to live those things out. You have an enemy. You sit here in Western culture. In the United States, Christians, 
we live life like there is no war going on. But if you travel overseas to China, if you travel overseas to Africa or any Latin nation, you will see they recognize there is a war going on. Spiritual war. My, my friend, my mentor from afar, John Piper has this to say, life is war. That's not all it is, but it is always that. But most people do not believe in their heart, believe this in their hearts. Most people show by their priorities and their casual approach to spiritual things that they believe we are in peacetime and not wartime. It seems like we know we are in a war and saints are described as being soldiers, but some have taken elongated fellows in vacations. Think about it. When was the last time you recognized you was in a war? When was the last time you realized, man, there's, 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 there's somebody that's against me? that we have an enemy. That when we look at verse 12, let me tell you, Paul describes who the enemy is not. Verse 12 says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. No, 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 no. I've got a little help for us to understand what this term wrestle means. This word Paul uses is a, is, is a Greek term. Uh, it, it is defined as a contest between two in which each endeavors to throw the other, in which each is decided when the victor is able to press and hold down his prostrate antagonists, namely to hold down with his hand upon his neck. When we consider that the loser in, in a Greek wrestling match had his eyes, eyes gouged out, with resulting blindness for the rest of his days, we can form some conception of what Paul is trying to play or, or trying to portray or illustrate. Christian wrestling against the powers of darkness is in no less desperate and faithful state. Satan is not playing with us. And even though you don't recognize it in your daily affairs, it's a war. But there's a war. There's a war going on. And man, I must admit to you, I'm the first to go through life not realizing, man, there is a war over my mind. There is a war over my heart that Satan is trying to get me. Y'all watch this. Not to fight for victory because victory is already given because of Jesus. In this letter, in this portion of scripture, Paul, is ne he never admonishes them to fight for, for victory. He simply admonishes them to stand. Have you ever seen... I mean, I've always dreamed of being a little hoop player. You know, I always wanted to be a little... 
hoop star. I, I know I, I had I had dreams of making it big and going to the USA and and, and actually uh, making a team and knowing that the US had a Magic Johnson or a Jordan or a Bird or a Shaq or Kobe or LeBron. That I know that eventually, even if I sat on the bench, that when it was all over, we'll have gold and we'll be standing on the trophy. And I would have nothing to do with it. But there I'd be standing. Not because of what I've done, but because of what Le- LeBron or Shaq or Jordan or Larry Bird had done. Christians, Christ, he's placed you on a stand. And we all have gold medals. And the only command, the only thing God has said, can you just stand like you are victorious? Can you just stand there? I've given you victory already. Just stand. We are not fighting for victory. We are fighting from victory. And that's good news to me. Ah, that I am victorious. Paul says that we are more than conquerors to him who has loved us. We never have to worry about losing. We've already won. Can you just stand? Can you act like you won? That's all he's trying to say here. Just, hey man, just, just stand. Just stand. That's it. Just stand. But even in outstanding, there's, but there's still a war. There's still a war going on. So, man, when you look at Ephesians chapter 6, can I tell you, man, let me help you out. He says, who's we are wrestling, who we are not wrestling against is flesh and blood, and, and that's man. That's man. That's, 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 that's the person beside you. If you are married, your spouse is not your enemy. I know you think he is, or she is. I know you, you think your in-laws is your enemies. But can I reaffirm you? Can, can I just tell you your enemy is not who you see? I'm going to go back to Genesis chapter 3. Now, Genesis 2-7, God forms Adam from dust. Genesis 2-21, he takes rib out of man. And then in Genesis 22, he, 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 he builds, he forms, he fashions Eve for him. And then in Genesis chapter 3, we see that the serpent is there on the scene, doing his thing. He's, he's been Satan. So now Satan, he actually, he actually deceives Eve and then, while Adam is standing right there next to him. He, he's, he, he's right there next to her, and yet he allows Eve to, to be deceived. So Christ, in the same chapter, he comes and says, Adam, where are you? And then now they're hiding, and, and they're doing all this kind of stuff. And, 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 and. God said, well, Adam, what, what, what happened? Now, now, Satan was there. Who did Adam blame? Eve. He blamed Eve. Knowing that Satan was right. Don't that sound like us? We blame our boss, co-worker, student, 
in-laws again. I got the in-laws. In-laws, that's, that's key, y'all. That's key. They are not your enemies. The people beside you, in front of you, in your neighborhood, they're not your enemies. We are not in a one-on-one combat with who we see. Let me give you a picture of who got this thing right. In Matthew chapter 16, we know the story. In Matthew 16, Christ, he asked his, his boys, who do they say I am? And they are going around, throwing around different prophets. And then Peter say, man, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And he says, Peter, man, man, listen, man, flesh and blood did not reveal that. But my father who is in heaven has revealed that to you. So Peter got this thing right. Chop down a few verses. <laughs> verses uh, uh, 21. So now, Jesus, here it is, from the time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things uh, from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and one third and on the third and on the third day uh, be raised. And Peter took him aside. Y'all. You look at Peter snatched him aside. Peter had the audacity to snatch him aside and say, that would never happen. Forbid from you, says Lord, this should never happen to you. Verse 23, but he, Christ, turned and said to Peter, not get behind me, Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Jesus was always the world. I'm not fighting Peter against you. I'm fighting against the devil. But look at why he said, but look at why he called him the devil. I'm like, man, do God, do I have devilish ways? I, I, I must have. Look what, he, look what he said. He says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God on the things of man. So whenever we're setting our mind on the things of man and not God, we're acting like little devils. I've been accused of that a whole lot. That I've had my agenda over his. Now, I'm not the devil, y'all. I'm devilish-like at times when I'm in the flesh, but I'm not him. But that's... Just to be clear in this, Jesus has given us his Holy Spirit to reveal to us, hey, you're not fighting against who you see. It's who you do not see. For we do not combat, one-on-one wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers, the spiritual forces of evil, who, who operate, who live in heavenly places. Let me say this. If our enemy is not who we see, who we see, the enemy is who we don't see. When you look at the Bible, the Bible describes Satan in many ways. He's named, he's called a liar, John 8.44, a murderer, John 8.44, 
He's called, he, he is described as a lion going out to, to devour, to destroy. He wants to destroy things. He wants to destroy you. First Peter 5 8. And then here it is. In John, in Job chapter 1 and 2, it's like God has given him a long leash to operate on. The Bible says he's going to and fro. He's going back or he's going forward and back, trying to find somebody he can, he can destroy. I heard a man say, don't get too happy if Satan does not catch you on his two round. He has also a fro round. He goes to and fro, trying to find someone to destroy. But here's here is the beauty about this, that Satan is not God. He's not omnipresent. He he, he's not everywhere at one time. If Satan is in Africa, he can't be in, in the U.S. He's not God. Now, he does have his imps, his demons, and we'll hear, uh, and we'll hear uh, about them next. But Satan is not all-knowing, and he's not all-powerful. He only can do what God allows. If you are a child of God, he is limited in what he can do in your life, in your home, in your mind. He's limited. He's on a long leash. However, he's free. And God in his wisdom has chosen not to destroy him now. The devil is alive. And well, yet he's defeated. But not only are we fighting against the devil, we're fighting against his demons. Wayne Grudem has defined them as demons or angels who've sinned against God and who are now continually at work with evil in the world. They don't stop. They don't sleep. Satan has assigned, just as God will assign angels, to fight over you even in your home, in your marriage. Y'all, have you ever noticed, man? I mean, y'all, this is, this, this, this is me. Have you ever, I mean, this is me. I will have these great moments in my private time with God. Getting up, man, I read my word, man, I, man, I'm, and, I, and I'm feeling good, man. And that, five minutes later, I go tripping. Like, man, what just happened? I mean, I, got, I just spent time, and my wife would, would just remind me, didn't you just spend time with God? I did. I did. But I've been influenced. I, 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 I've been influenced. Y'all, I'm, I'm just saying, man, man listen, listen, we, listen, take home, know this, that Satan is against you. Listen, listen, listen. his demons, his demons, listen, they simply seek to hinder the purposes of God and to, ex and to expand, to extend the power of Satan. And they are working even now. 
Do you realize that? Do you recognize that? They fail. They're working. Now, now we can fall in either two ditches in this. We can make much of, too much of Satan, or we can make too little of Satan. We can deify him in a sense. We can assign to him attributes that don't belong to him. Or we can say, man, please, I'm already saved, man. I'm good, man. Man, man, I'm covered. I'm covered in the blood. Satan can't influence me. The devil is a lie. That is what. That's actually a true saying, saying the devil is a lie. Y'all listen to me. Listen, the Bible does not warrant that. He doesn't. God is made, God gets the most glory of allowing Satan to roam, and we choose his ways over his ways. God is most glorified when he allows sin to exist, even though y'all were saved, that, 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 that when we as his children, when we choose his ways, God's ways over saving ways, God is then glorified. Now, that's good news to me, that God has given me his spirit to help me choose him over sin. So, y'all, that's, 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 that's good news. But, uh, listen, listen, there's this little phrase in verse, it says, put on the whole arm of God that we may be able to stand against the scheme the methods, the devices, the plan. Do you not know that Satan has a plan, a crafted, tailor-made temptation just for you? He's been investigating you all your life. He knows your weaknesses and your strengths. He knows what you like and what you don't like. Satan is not an idiot. The Bible calls him cunning, crafty. This guy has tailor-made temptations just for you. But y'all, in my research, I, I realized something. That for the most part, he operates in this world in three ways. Let me tell you his secret so we can be better equipped to fight against him. When you go to John, 1 John chapter 2, verses, two uh, verses 15 through 17, there are three things that we see that Satan uses. He uses the, the lust or desires of our flesh in the world. He uses the lust or desires of our eyes, and he uses the pride of life. Three tricks, three schemes, he did it in Genesis 3. He also used them in Genesis 4, I mean, Matthew 4 and Luke 4 against Jesus. What Adam and Eve failed in, Christ himself succeeded in. But he used the same three tricks. Let me see, let me see has he ever used this on you before. This first trick, the, the lust of the flesh. It's when Satan tries to get you to do something apart from the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How many of us have been tempted to do something that God said no to? Huh? Come on, y'all. Come on. Come on. I know you. It's you. Now, come on. It's me. 
I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, if we belong to Christ, the Bible says that we need to crucify our flesh along with its desires and passions. That Satan knows what you desire and lust after. He knows what you want to do apart from God's will. He knows what, so he's telling me a temptation just for you. That's for you. That's for you. He's trying to get us to do something apart from God's will. Point two is that he works through the lust and desires of our, of our eyes. Satan wants us to have stuff <laughs> that is apart from God's perfect and acceptable and uh, uh, good will. He wants us to have something. Like me. I, I was saved, but I was living in debt because I, I wanted to have a, a, a Land Rover or a, a Tundra. Now, I knew that since the Bible says that I shouldn't be in debt, I was seeking to be in debt. I, I know the Bible is, is against it. Had I prayed to God, God, should I have this Tundra? No. But God, come on, are you serious? I, God, I can handle it. No. No, you cannot handle it. No, you can't handle it. See, man, when we may submit ourselves, man, to God's will, man, man, God will win. But, man, I'm just saying what Satan wants, what Satan desires, what Satan is trying to do is to get us to have stuff. That's why the Bible says Christ, who was God in the flesh, yeah, could have had all kinds of money. said birds has, uh, birds has nests and foxes had holes, but I, the son of man, had nowhere to lay his head. He wasn't concerned about stuff. He was satisfied in the will of his father. That his meat was simply to do the will of his father. He wasn't caught up in trying to have something that his father said not to have. But then here's his last one. Trying to be something apart from God's good, acceptable, and perfect will. How many of us have tried to force our way into a road? Try to force our way into being something that God says, not yet. Not yet. That's why there is this gospel promise that says if we would submit ourselves before God, he will exalt us. He will, he will exalt. He'll put you in a high position in due time. But we have to submit to him, his plan. And y'all listen to me. His will is good. His will is acceptable. And his will is perfect. Do we want that? Satan is saying, listen to me, I, I am going to get you in one of these three ways. But isn't it good news to know that we have a Savior who, who did all that the Father wanted to do, who possessed and was content with all the Father had gave him, and who only was, who lived out fully and perfectly being the Son of God for our, for our behalf. So that when we do, when we do fall short, when we do give in to this bait with the hook, y'all, that all we have to do, man, is, is trust the Spirit of God to point us back to Jesus Christ. Ask God to give us, to, to, to grant us repentance, and then we are okay because of Jesus. 
Listen, listen to me. We need to understand, man, that, man, God has a perfect plan for our lives. And Satan wants us to shortcut the plan. And God has said, no, don't do it. I, I got you. So listen, he works these, these three ways. Lust, desires of the flesh, the eyes, and the pride of, of life. But, so how do I overcome this? Now, now you, you spent some time on, on saying it and the schemes and tricks. How do I overcome this? I'm so glad you ask. Go back to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. He says, finally, y'all, y'all this is going, this year, this year, this year, this year, this year, this year blessed me. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Listen, look what he's saying. See, if you look at this the wrong way, we'll, we'll see this word be strong as something that we have to do. But in the original, it, it simply means being strengthened while in the Lord. That the once you realize your union with Christ and focus on the truth and the fact that Christ is in you and you are in Christ, that this union of Christ and you realizing and allowing the Spirit of God to remind you of who you are in Christ, it is to give you strength. It's something that's been done to you because something has been done for you. It's nothing you have to do of yourself. It's that while you cherish the fact that you are in Christ, somehow, someway, God gives you strength by his spirit. Look what, look what John Calvin had to say about this. John Calvin defined it as the union by which we grow together with him so that he revives us by his spirit and transfers his power to us. This little union is so critical to Paul that in this letter, this idea of in Christ, in the Lord, in him, it's mentioned over 35 times in one book. He's saying that as you bask in, as you enjoy the union of Christ, Somehow, someway, without your help, God gives you strength. As you choose to abide in Christ and let Christ abide in you, somehow, someway, God, through his spirit, gives you strength to fight your enemy. You don't have to muster this up. But as you spend time with God and as you relish in the fact you are in him and he is in you, he gives you strength in that. When was the last time you celebrated your union with Christ? Paul said, that's where your strength is found in the law. In him. And when we recognize this, man, we have power that is incredible. It takes it off us and makes it about him. 
Now, he's also provided for us, not only, so we understand, we understand that we have an enemy. Our enemy is not who we see, but who we don't see. But in that God, he's given us power, power found in Christ, in the union with Christ, that as we spend time and we relish on, celebrate, and become excited about who we are in Christ, that y'all listen to me, it's in Christ we are adopted. It's in Christ that we are elected. It's in Christ we have been redeemed. In Christ, this union is powerful. And yet, for the normal Christian, it, it, it doesn't, wow. It's amazing that in the person of the Holy Spirit, Christ lives inside of me. Who's the last time that gripped your heart? That the man who died for me, the man who got up for me, the man who shed his blood for me, he lives inside of me by the work of the Holy Spirit. When was the last time that lit your fire? That should do something to you. That is good news. You have the power over a defeated enemy to stand because you've been placed and positioned to stand. But he's also giving you provision. He's giving you his armor. Twice the Bible says, don't take just the armor of God, but take the whole armor. But the key is this, of God. The armor belongs to God. When you read Isaiah 52, when you read Isaiah 59, when you read Isaiah 11, 5, and 6, y'all, the same armor that God himself wore in Isaiah, he's giving it now to you to wear in combat with the enemy. The same armor. It's his. Listen to me. The power is not in the armor. It's in whom the armor belongs to. And, and, and that's God. We have power and we have provision because of God. Now, now, now I, I, time is gone. Now, I, I, I have to be quick here. The centerpiece, the thing that holds life together, or, 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 or that, that held uh, 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 things together for a Roman soldier, it was the belt. It also, they had leather strappings on it that would also protect one's Vital parts. Amen. <laughs> Amen. It will, it will protect. It also in that allowed one to move with accuracy and quickness, agile, ready to go, ready to do his thing. It protected his core. For the Christian, that's the gospel. It allows you to be agile. Listen to me. It's because of the gospel of Christ you're able to see and to know all that Christ and all that God the Father has done and provided for you in this world. It's only found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's your, that is your centerpiece. That allows you to be agile in the world. Now, now when, you check out, when you check on this, this belt, when you check out the breastplate of righteousness, he's not. Y'all, I have to admit, I struggle with this, 
Because I thought for the longest it means I was to do right. And now that I'm now that I'm in Christ, now I gotta do right. And that's true. But I haven't fully been captivated that I am righteous because of Jesus. That even though I that even though I, I sin and, sh- and and shame comes, and when I sin, guilt comes. It's in those moments God has sent Son. I am your righteousness. Stop working for it and enjoy having it. Do you enjoy having your, the the vital part of your front being protected by the righteousness of God? Stop working to please God. Stop working to find favor from God. Stop what? Stop it. It's finished. He took your sin, gave you his what? Righteousness, so that you could be declared right before God. And that's an ongoing, non-stopping thing that happens because of Jesus. But then also we have this, having, having, these, having on these shoes, giving you the ability, man, to, to move. And simply put what this is saying in this, is that, man, we need to be ready, ready to to preach and to believe the gospel of peace provided by Jesus. Now, now, now let me have to see. In this, because we're saved, we're called, according to Romans 12, 8, to pursue, all, to pursue peace with all men. Romans 12, 18, that we're called to, that, that as much as possible, that we're called to pursue peace with men. But trying to pursue peace when man and not having the peace of God is hard. So John chapter 14, verse, verses 27 says, His Christ, Christ says, the peace I have, I give to you. You have my peace. Philippians 4, 7 it says that we're able to have the peace of God. So, so, so because I have peace of God, I'm able now to pursue peace with people. But hold up. Before I'm able to have peace of God, I first need peace with God. Romans 5 and 1. That because of your faith in Christ, you now have peace with God forever. You never have to worry about being an enemy, a foe of God. You are forever his friend. You are forever his child. So now that I have peace with God and the peace of God, now, now, I, can, now I can pursue peace with all men. That's what the gospel, the, the gospel commands of us. And then we have this shield of faith. Because, y'all, we are called to live by faith. And, and the Bible says in Hebrews 11 and 6, for without it we cannot please God. We need to live by faith. Faith and the key element of our faith is the object of our faith, and that's God. We're called that when the battle calls to take up the shield of faith, that it quenches the fiery darts of, of, of the enemy. And again, it's faith in God. Then we're called to have to to have ready this 
helmet of salvation, simply a reminder that, man, that we're saved for now and eternity. And we need to be reminded of that most often. Because the mind starts, the battle starts in the mind. And y'all listen, if you put on that helmet of salvation, it's simply to remind you that your salvation is a finished work. It's a finished work. And then the sword of the spirit. We see this in Matthew 4. We see this in Matthew 11. How Christ, he, he defeats Satan by quoting the written word to him. You have the living word quoting the written word to defeat Satan. That's our only of offense in this weaponry. And are you not glad that we attend a church that is trying to get us to put the word of God in our hearts, Amen. to memorize it, so that man, if the word of God is in our hearts, we will not sin against it. That's our weapon. That's what we need y'all to meditate on, to really, man, 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 to grow in. Memorizing the word, because when Satan comes to us, we have a word for him to defeat him. So y'all, so you, 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 you see all of this. The last thing that's not a part of this is prayer. But when you read Ephesians chapter 6, I mean, uh, 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 6, 18, Paul says to Praying all times in the spirit. And y'all, this is not, I ain't got time, but praying in the spirit, it, it can mean you're using the gift of tongues if you have it. But since everyone does not have that gift, it can't mean that. So when I'm talking about praying in the spirit, I'm saying praying prayers that, that, that coincide with the will of God. That I'm allowing the Spirit of God to lead me in my prayer time, where my prayer time is more about him and not about me. So I'm allowing, since he knows the deep things of God, now when, 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 I, when I allow him to pray through me, uh, according to Romans, 5, Romans 8 and 8, 26, he prays the will of God in my life. So praying in the Spirit at, at all times, then he says, we need to pray. Uh, uh, we need to pray. Uh, all kinds of prayers. We need to pray for each other. And we need to pray for the leadership that we may proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ with boldly. In conclusion, R.C. Sproul has this to say uh, about warfare and prayer. He says, all of our warfare and all of our activity must take place in the context of constant, unceasing prayer. Just as a soldier on the battle line has to keep in constant communication with his general headquarters and his commanding officer, so the Christian who is on the battle line must be in constant communication with his Lord. He might be fully equipped with all the armor, but if he cut off his personal communication with his commander-in-chief, then he will be isolated and vulnerable. Amen. Amen. <laughs> we have power. We have protection. Saints, we need to pray. 
How the armor of God is activated is simply in faith. My wife and I, we have a daughter. I'm done. This is my closing inspiration. We, 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 have, we have a daughter. Her name is Naraya. And in the morning, I'm the one that gets her dressed uh, to go to school. And so last week, it was raining outside. Raining outside. And so, man, I put on her, her raincoat, had on her boots, on her shirt, and, and, and pants. So, man, I, I, I earned her clothes and got them all ready, man, and she's ready to go, and I'm, I'm about to take her, take her out, and my wife stops, stops us, says, she's not fully dressed. I said, what you mean? It's raining outside, raincoat, rain boots. Let's go. <laughs> she said, D, it's 34 degrees outside. Put her coat on under the raincoat. I'm saying why? It's cold outside. It's just not rainy. It's cold. She needs to be, here it is, fully dressed. How many times, saints, when God has commanded us to put on the whole armor of God, we go out to war not fully dressed. My prayer is this. From this day on, we'll take the idea of war serious and never leave the house without being fully dressed and empowered by the Spirit. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.